All right. You know, this is what that's what I get for praising technology. Um, you know, I, I was talking to Patrick right before the service, and he said, "Man, y'all, y'all need to find a new sound guy because things are always happening." I said, "It's not only us. Uh, there, are, there are a lot of other bigger churches during this time that." I have a buddy that uh, is a pastor at a bigger church uh, up north, and they had to show up an hour later uh, than their service because of technology issues. So it happens all the time. Uh, We're continuing our um, sermon series called Balanced, where we're looking at uh, having a balanced life that encourages spiritual growth. Um, And today... We're looking at the idea of being an impact. Um, and so we want to take the last two weeks. Uh, two weeks ago, what we did was um, we talked about the idea of love being the most important element in Christian faith. And then last week, we talked about observing the commandments of God and how uh, they need to go hand in hand. So you need to love people and you need to love God so much that you observe and obey his uh, commandments. And so uh, we talked about that, but why? Why do we need to do those things? Why is it valuable as Christians to love people, to love God? Why is it valuable as Christians to, to make that love known to other people? And why is it valuable as Christians uh, to observe and obey the commandments that are presented to us? Why should we do those things? Because it is our responsibility as Christians to leave a legacy, to make an impact on the lives that we come in contact with for God. So this week, looking at the fact that it is Father's Day, I came across this article that I think illustrates uh, what we as Christians should be, an influence, um, a a legacy builder. Uh, But it was talking about a study based on having fathers involved in kids' lives. Now, the impact of fatherhood is not subjective, what the study said, but an objective and documented phenomenon. Although motherhood has been dominating uh, past studies, uh, researchers are learning more and more about what makes a good dad and how to be a good dad every day. So far, they know that kids who grow up with a present, engaged father are less likely to drop out of school or to wind up in jail compared to children with absent fathers and no other male caretakers or role models. I I thought that that part of the study was intriguing um, because not all of us are blessed to have a father uh, that steps up, but uh, if we see that, we need to to step up in those roles uh, to be a constant Uh, male figure in their life, role model. When kids have closer relationships with father figures, they're less likely uh, to uh, get involved in high-risk behaviors. They're more likely to have high-paying jobs, healthy, stable relationships when they grow up, and they also tend to have higher IQ scores by the age of three, and they endure fewer psychological problems. Uh, A sociologist said, when fathers are actively involved with their children, Children do better. Research suggests that fathers are important for the child's development. Now, he also goes on to say that 
It's not about just being present. It's about being in the child's life. So it's not about just sitting around, you know, being in the same room. It's about being involved in the child's life. And so when I read that study and I was thinking about fatherhood, I was thinking about what that means for Christianity. And we as Christians need to be involved in the world around us in such a way that we can make an impact. You know, so often it seems like there's two narratives when it comes to Christianity and their involvement in the world. One narrative is to completely separate ourselves, take ourselves out of what the world is doing, and and just like go hide in the hills somewhere and start our own little commune, have our own little garden, teach our own uh, kids, um, and just separate ourselves from the world to so that they have no so the world has no influence on our kids. And then there's the alternative, which is, man, just throw your families into the world and allow them to just be a part of the world no matter what. And, and that seems to be kind of the two ways of thinking instead of being like what God says, be in the world, but not of the world. The reason why we're supposed to be in the world and not separating ourselves and not, you know, just being in a bubble is because we are supposed to be an influence. We're supposed to be make an impact in, in the world and, and what they're doing. And, and so that needs to be something that we as Christians take pride in or make a priority in our lives is to make an impact in the world around us. And so that means that we can't be silent. That means that we can't be absent. That means we actually have to be present in the world in order for them to be impacted by what God is doing. You know, so often we want to speak up about injustices. We want to speak up about things that are going on and, and we expect the world to embrace the things that we say. But the problem is that if they don't see us, they're not going to respect the words that we say. We, we talked about that over the last two weeks, that our actions need to reflect the words coming out of our mouths, that we can't just say it, we actually have to do it. And so if we say we love our community or we say we love all people, we actually have to do something about that. We have to show it. We have to be in the community making sure that they understand that. And I think God speaks to this and he speaks to it in a very familiar passage, his Sermon on the Mount. Uh, it comes after the Beatitudes uh, in Matthew 5, 13 through 16. But he talks about us as Christians being two types of people. And, and it says this. It says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the salt. He's speaking to individuals who embrace a relationship with him. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Now, how many of you like salt? How many of you like salt probably more than you should? How many of your cholesterol and blood pressure reflects the fact that you like salt more than you should? I remember hearing a story, and I, I think I shared this story 
with Ryan a couple weeks ago when he was in my office. But I remember there's a story about uh, Henry Ford and how he would hire people based on uh, sharing a meal with them. And so he would interview them, share a meal with them, and he would watch for one very simple thing. And some of you would not get the job. Um, He would see if you would taste the food before you salted the food. How many of you immediately when the food lands on your table, you grab the salt and start salting it? Some of y'all are lying right now because I've seen it. But, you know, it, it provides flavor. Salt provides flavor. And so we'll touch on that in a second. But it says that we are supposed to be the salt of the earth. But then it continues in 14. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So the message that he's saying is, you need to be salt to this world. You need to be a light in this world. Why? So that when people see you, they glorify the one that you represent. They connect with the one that you represent, but they need to see him in you first. And so I want to break down what it means to be salt, what it means to be light today. I want to look at descriptors of what salt is and what light is and what I think Jesus was referring to in his message. Because when God is taking the time to say these things, when he's taking the time to say that we are salt and light and that we should be salt and light, when he's taking the time to do that, there must be a meaning behind it. So what does salt and light do? What is salt? Well, let's look at salt. The first thing that salt is, because it says you are the salt of this earth. The first thing that many people think of, especially coming out of an age where there wasn't refrigeration, it was used as a preservative. And so if Christians are supposed to be salt, they're supposed to preserve in two ways. And so let's think about that for a second. What are they supposed to preserve? One, they're supposed to preserve the word of God. And two, they're supposed to help the world get back to where it was intended to be in the beginning. You see, what does something that preserve do? When when you place salt on meat and you hang it up, It's to keep it from what? Rotting. It's to keep it from going bad. And so we as Christians, we live our lives in such a way that we're an example to others to see where their life is starting to go bad. And so we preserve what the word of God says about how we should live. We carry on that message so that it is forever and it doesn't get lost 
among all these other things that are screaming at us for attention. And see, that's what's going on in our world around us, is that all these other things are trying to blind us from what this message is, trying to blind us from what we're supposed to be living. And so we're gaining this rot because the world, or what we would say air, if we're talking about meat, is getting to it, but salt is preserving it, making sure that that which is going to rot it doesn't infiltrate it, doesn't get to it, doesn't get to the heart of these people. And so we as Christians need to try to stop the rotting from happening. But unfortunately, many of us as Christians, we accept Christ, and what do we do? We retreat to our own bubble, and we quit worrying about the rotting that's happening in other people. And every single day, people are growing further and further away from God. People are growing into a relationship with the world and who the world represents. And we have to be very careful that we don't allow that to happen. We have to be very careful that we don't allow that to continue to occur. We have to be very careful that we keep the world from destroying that which God created, the relationship that God desired for all of us. So when it says that we should be salt to this earth, we should preserve what God intended for us. We should preserve that which God created us for and not allow the world around us to destroy that. Now, the next thing that we know about salt, and it's the thing that I spoke about a few minutes ago, is it's a flavoring agent. A lot of us use it to flavor our foods. A lot of us use it to make sure that our foods are getting to where we like it in taste. You know, if you've ever gone to somebody who did not flavor their food, if you've ever gone to somebody who did not put salt on their stuff when they cooked it, what's the first thing that you think? Man, this has no taste. This is not good. And you recognize that immediately. And what do we know about salt a lot of times? Is that if you put it on after, it provides a different type of taste than if you put it on during the cooking process. You know, if you throw noodles into a boiling pot and you take them out and you salt the noodles afterwards, the noodles are going to taste quite differently than if you put salt in the water to boil the noodles with salty water. And, and so we understand that if we're trying to just flavor people after the fact, you know, or responding that it's going to get a different approach than trying to start walking with them before they're completely infiltrated. And so we're supposed to provide a different flavor to the world. We're supposed to provide them with, you know, a relationship with God. And God tells us that relationship gives us an abundant life. And what we often do is we try to respond and not initiate. And that's going to have a different impact. And 
the problem with responding instead of initiating is you get a mentality from people where they're only going to have relationship with you when they need you. And so when the church sits back and says, when there's a disaster or there's a problem, we will be there. And only then, then people get this understanding that the only time that the church is there for me is when something bad's going on. But if we're trying to provide flavoring to them all the time, then it's going to have a different reaction. Another thing that you see about salt, and maybe some of you don't know about it, is that at one point it was used as an antiseptic. It was used to clean or to cleanse, specifically during the childbirth process. As soon as children were born, they were rubbed down with salt to clean them, to, to help them. In, in many cultures, it is used to clean a wound. Christians have the responsibility not only to point out sin, but to help people come to a relationship with God where sin can be cleansed, where sin can be cleansed. And so as salt of the earth, as a individual who is living like salt, we have the opportunity to clean the wounds of sin or to help clean the wounds of sin. Now, the next thing that it does um, is it creates thirst. It creates thirst to those who um, eat it or partake in it. And so what we want to do is we want to create a thirst for God. We want to introduce people to something they don't know exists. And so we live in such a way that people are drawn to it. We live in such a way that people are responding to it. And so that, that needs to be how we live our life on a daily basis. That needs to be how we live our life. And so that people respond in such a way that they're drawn to God. They're drawn to something more. How many of you have ever drank uh, or ever ate something that is extremely salty, and what is the initial response that you need? I need to drink something. I need to get this taste out of my mouth. I need to refresh what's going on. And so that is what we experience, when, or what people should experience when they experience us as Christians, is that they want to experience more of God. They want to experience what we are offering. And that needs to be how we live our life. Now, secondly, I think that this is probably more clear to us than salt. Because a lot of times when we deal with salt on today's level, we only think about it as um, flavoring. How many of you have ever poured salt on your wound? No, probably not. Um, it, it, it burns. How many of you have ever had an open wound and you went swimming in the ocean? So no, we're probably not taking, you know, our Ipsen salt out of the, uh, you know, closet and just saying, oh, I cut myself. Let me pour it on. You know, none of us are probably, you know, taking a piece of meat and putting salt on it and hanging it uh, in the shed outside anymore. Uh, so we know it as the flavoring process, but all of us can understand the illustration of light. Uh, 
all of us can understand what that means. And so it continues on and tells us in 14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but but on the lampstand and gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Let them see the light. You see, Scripture in the Old Testament tells us that as Christians, we are supposed to be what? A city on the hill. We're separate people. And we're supposed to be that type of individuals. So what does it mean to be the light of the world? The first thing is light dispels darkness. Light dispels darkness. Now, we're in a very lit room. But there are places in this room that darkness exists. There are places in this room where there is darkness. If you want to look, there is a pencil hole in your pew, and if you look down in it, it's dark, right? But none of you in this room, except maybe now that I said something, are drawn to that. Why? Because we're surrounded by light. Now, let's change that illustration. What would happen if this room was pitch black and one of those pencil holes had a little bit of light in it, what would we do? We'd go to where that light was, right? And so there's a difference because right now we're surrounded by the light. But if we were away from the light and in complete darkness, we would be drawn to any glimmer of light that there was. Any small piece of of light that there was, we'd be drawn to it. And so that's what he's saying is that we as Christians need to dispel darkness. We need to to bring hope to a dark world. We need to show them a light that they can walk to away from where they're at. If we refuse to get involved, if we refuse to step out, then guess what? They're individuals in a dark world surrounded by darkness with no hope of light. With no hope of light. If you were in a cave and you were in complete darkness, I guarantee you there'd be comfort from just a match. And you may think that a match isn't that serious or you may think that a match doesn't produce that much light. But if you had matches, there'd be a sense of calm and peace to know that there is some type of light. And if you were able to get it on, you know, a stick that was wrapped with, you know, a piece of cloth and it were to grow, there'd be a more calming experience. There'd be more because you would see a greater light. And so the church needs to be the light of the world. We need to show 
God to the world around us. We need to show them a light. We need to dispel darkness and, and try to do away with that which is wrong. Not only that, but light reveals. Light reveals. You know, let's say that, you know, you're sitting there and you're in your house and and you're trying to get away with something and they turn the lights off and you're like, now is my moment. Nobody can see what I do. And you start to do whatever it is you are told not to do by your parents and somebody turns a light on and what does it do? It reveals what you're doing wrong. It reveals what you were doing in the dark. That's what we need to do is we need to reveal that which is wrong. We need to shine a light on that which is wrong to help people step out of that darkness. Light also awakens people. It awakens people to what they can have. How many of you have been in a deep sleep and a light was turned on in your room? Or somebody opened the blinds and the light came in from outside and it woke you up immediately. Why? Because light awakens. And we need to awaken people to where they are currently at, the life that they're in, who they are and who they should be. It also warns, light warns. If you look at the illustration of a lighthouse, what does a lighthouse do? It reveals the things that are around it. It reveals the things, the dangers that could be around it. It shines a light, but it also allows you to avoid them and to go directly to the safe harbor. And we need to be that safe harbor for People, We need to direct them to God, direct them away from where they're going. And so what does this mean? We need to be salt and light to this world. We need to make a difference. We need to make an impact. We need to first recognize that we have to be something. God has never told us to, to not be something. God has never told us to not make an impact. God has never told us to just stay silent and to be still. He expects us to do something. We also need to recognize that we're not all called to do the same thing. We're not all called to do it in the same way. Now, we're all called, yes, to make an impact, but we're not all called to do it in the same way. Some are called to preach. Some are called to sing. Some are called to teach. And some are called to just, you know, give. We all have different ways of being the salt and light, and we need to embrace that which we are. But in order to do that, we have to have a close relationship with God. We have to have a close relationship with God. Have you ever had one of those solar lights that, you know, you you can stick it out in your yard and light your path? Have you ever tried to you know, install it at night and hope it works. What's the problem with putting a solar light up in the middle of night and trying to get light? 
my son just told you that there's no sun. What does a solar light need to make sure it shines in the darkness? It needs energy. Avery's going to keep giving you the answers. It needs energy. That energy comes from the time it's spent in the sun, right? And so when we look at that example, how are we supposed to be the light? How are we supposed to be salt? We go to the source. We go to the source of our saltiness. We go to the source of our light. And that way we can produce it when we're not at the source. And so that's really what church is. That's what a relationship with God is. You know, again, I was talking to somebody and we were talking about what is the reason behind church? What is the importance of church? And the truth is, it refreshes you. It regenerates you. It strengthens you to be what you're supposed to be in the world around us. And so like that solar light that sits in the sun all day and then is lit at night, we need to take time to grow closer to God so that we can be who we're supposed to be in the world around us. That involves being in worship. That involves being in Bible study. That involves being in time of prayer so that we can be who we're supposed to be. But first, we have to recognize that there's a need. We have to recognize that there's a need. How many of you in this room have said in the last month, year, that this world is falling apart? That this world is, to put it lightly, going to hell in a handbasket? How many of you have said just how terrible this world is? You want to know the truth? It's true. But what can be the change? What can be the change to a lost and dying world? God, right? A relationship with God through Jesus Christ? Who can tell people about this God that we speak of? Is it those who follow him? And so if we think that there needs to be a change, let's be the change. Well, I don't know if we can make that much impact. Maybe not. But you can make some impact. You can affect the world that you're in. It may not have an effect on the whole country. It may not have an effect on the whole world, but it has an effect on your world. And I guarantee you, if you were able to step away from your world for a minute, your influence is far greater than you think it is. Your influence is far greater than you think it is. You see, a couple of months ago, we stopped doing services here. And I was like, man, how are we going to how are we going to reach the church? 
And so I put on a Facebook and I got Cullen to help me with that and, and we worked it out and and we showed it on Facebook. And you know what happened? People at Gordon Heights saw it. You know what else happened? People all over the world saw it. And so people in other states were liking it and sending me a message saying, hey, I watched you. People in other countries were liking it. And when you look at that, do you think, man, all I did was preach and it had an impact. We live in a world today where our impact is not just here. You have a far greater impact than you think. Are you willing to embrace what God desires for you to be? Because he says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And that light is supposed to draw people into a relationship with God. Have you embraced that? If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with him, I pray that you come and talk to me about that. Talk to somebody who can help you with that. Introduce you to a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. But for most people in this world or in this room, for a lot of the people watching, the thing that we need to evaluate is, are we the salt and light that we're supposed to be? Or like the scripture says, have we lost our saltiness? Have we hid our light? If so, why? God doesn't intend for us to be that. Now more than ever, the world needs it. Now more than ever, we should be who we're supposed to be. I've heard people say, hey, is this the end of the world? Maybe. But if it is, let's go out being who we're supposed to be. Let's go out making an impact that we're supposed to make. If it's the final quarter of the football game, let's give it all we got until we can't give it anymore. Let's be what we're supposed to be. God, we love you. We thank you for your message. We thank you for your words. Lord, I pray that something I said spoke to the people here. People watching, I pray that if I said something that was not of you, that you take it from their hearts and their minds. Lord, I pray that you just allow us to love you faithfully and serve you with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close with a song, and when we get done, Cullen's going to close us in prayer. I encourage you to join us Wednesday night as we come here in Bible study and next Sunday as we come back uh, to worship God together.